This morning we'll <clears throat> be moving along with the metta practice. Winnie and I want to give you as much of uh, a taste of the breadth of this practice as we feel is uh, possible without rushing within this week-long retreat. <clears throat> we won't cover we won't cover it totally, but we're going to try to give you as much of a taste as we can. Today we'll be entering into offering metta to a dear friend, a beloved friend. And I'd like to begin the this morning's instruction period with <clears throat> spending a few moments talking a little bit about the benefits of metta. Winnie and I certainly have uh, explored this to some degree, but in the Buddhist teachings, at least how they've been recorded down through the centuries, there are quite a few lists. We don't know if the Buddha was a list maker or not. Mm-hmm. He had quite a mind. He, he may have been able to just keep the lists in his mind without writing them down. Most people didn't know how to read and write in those days. He did, but, uh, uh, but it's come down to us and before us uh, over the centuries, uh, not all of the teachings, but certain aspects of the teachings in the form of lists which is handy, especially for someone like me who make lists, try to remember things, helps me remember things. So in the Buddha's uh, uh, list of the benefits of metta, there are 11 benefits that are listed. So I'd like to uh, go over these briefly. Often in, um, in the teachings, the monks will tell a story in relationship to each one of these benefits. I won't do that. It would take uh, the whole hour or more to do that. But I might tell a little bit of a, a bit of a story with some of them. The first uh, list, the first uh, benefit on the list, a benefit of metta. And let me just say, uh, to preface this, that these aren't uh, instant guarantees. So if you're not experiencing them all yet, (coughs) just have patience. The first one is that you will sleep easily. You will sleep peacefully. You will have a sound sleep. The second one is that... um, You'll wake up easily. You'll wake up peacefully. One of the monks many years ago that I did some metta practice with was a Burmese monk uh, by the name of Sayadaw Ulakana, and he he had stories for every single one of these benefits. I'm not going to tell a story about waking up peacefully, but he would speak about waking up with serenity, with clarity, uh, 
uh, waking up without the dull feeling that we sometimes wake up with. So maybe you're tasting a little bit of that <coughs> at this point. Maybe not. Um, the next benefit is you'll have sweet dreams. <laughs> um, and he used to talk about the, the sweet dreams would be free from uh, horrible and frightful dreams. Now, those of you that have done a fair amount of Vipassana practice may know that often with uh, intensive <coughs> Vipassana practice, we have some very intensive and sometimes wild, what Sayada Ulakana might call horrible and frightful dreams come up. Um, and sometimes that will happen with metta practice. Sometimes it happens with no practice, of course. And, uh, <laughs> but with doubt that the development of metta and the embodiment of metta, we could say, embodying in the body, the heart, and the mind, dreams can uh, move towards uh, a sweeter, uh, the sweeter realm, we could say. The next one is um, people and animals will love you. I had to tell a quick personal story. I was doing an intensive period of metta practice. This was many years ago. Um, not with Sada Ulakana nor with Pawak Sayadaw. But it was in a three-month retreat. And I was sitting outside behind the meditation center in Barrie, Massachusetts, diligently practicing metta, sitting in a chair with my eyes closed. And I felt something, a quality of something moving towards me, low, kind of low down. And I wasn't frightened, I just didn't open my eyes. And then I felt a weight on my leg, Light, a nice weight, I mean not heavy, but a weight. And then I opened my eyes, and there was a dog who just rested his head on my thigh and was just sitting there with its head resting on my thigh. I thought, wow, that's... I didn't know I hadn't seen the dog before. I thought, oh, that's amazing. Must be because I'm practicing metta. <laughs> <laughs> um. I will tell a quick story that Sayadaw Ulakana uh, tells about uh, human beings. It's a classical uh, monastic story. Uh, the story is that the Buddha went to visit um, uh, a prince in a particular area of India. And um, the people agreed in this area that everyone would, would come to welcome the Buddha. Uh, when he arrived. Or, the king said, they would be fined. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, one of Ananda, Ananda who was a chief disciple of the Buddha, one of his friends um, uh, uh, did come. And um, uh, Ananda, of course, was with him. And the friend said uh, that he didn't come because he really wanted to welcome the Buddha. He was afraid of being fined. That's why he came, to welcome the Buddha. 
And his friend Ananda was really disappointed about this and uh, to hear this from his friend, that he came out of fear rather than devotion or honoring, respect. So Ananda asked the Buddha to give some teachings to his friend. So the Buddha gave his friend the metta teachings and, and then sent a lot of metta to this, this man who came out of fear to welcome him. Now that in itself is a teaching, that the Buddha did that. <laughs> uh, and of course it's sad and I'm sure it was true that the, met, the Buddha's metta was so powerful that, you know, you could really feel it when you were around him. And if he was sending it directly to you, it was palpable. So he sent, gave the man teachings and sent metta to him. And what happened was that this man then joined the monastic order. <laughs> he left and went, became a monk, and listened and practiced quite diligently, and became a fully realized being. That's one story about uh, people <laughs> loving you if you if you practice metta. Um, the next one is devas, and I spoke a little bit about devas, and I think Winnie might have mentioned devas last night. I'm not sure if you did or not, but uh, uh, devas are these uh, beings that have practiced uh, deeply and long and diligently, and spend a lot of time in very beautiful states but they're not fully enlightened. There's still a lot of tumult that comes up. But they're, they're really good beings and uh, helpful beings, or can be. And, and if you practice a lot of metta, they'll love you, it's said. They'll protect you. In that little story I told about the beginnings of the metta practice uh, was a demonstration of that. The, the next one is... Um, and this is an interesting one in our time, and our culture. Uh, external dangers, as it's classically said, poisons, weapons, fire, will not harm you. I would add internal dangers. The poisons, weapons, and fire of the mind really are dissipated, are weakened, are... Uh, they definitely lose their the power over time over us. There are a couple of stories. I'll, I'll tell one quick one. Some of you may know of the Lama Foundation or have heard of the Lama Foundation here in Taos or just outside of Taos. And uh, a number of years ago now, uh, there was a big fire up there. Some of the buildings were burned, and some of them weren't. And the fire kind of went around the outside of some of the buildings. And I know some of the people that were there or part of that felt that the particular buildings that were protected were protected through practice, through the energy of practice. Take that as you will. So then the next one, this is uh, also really a lovely one, actually, and I think we can all relate to it in some way. Um, 
The next one is the, uh, the, the classically, classical way that it's translated is that your face will be clear and radiant. It's one of the benefits of metta. One of my uh, Burmese teachers, not Sayadaw Ulakana, but Sayadaw Upandita, used to say how beautiful everybody was when they were practicing. He would sit out in front of us and look out at all of us and say, everybody's so beautiful when they're practicing. And I could say the same. I mean, the beauty, it just... It's not because your features are in the perfect place or the perfect shape or the right form or in relationship. It's nothing to do with that. It's that quality, that energetic inner quality of beauty that really is very true when you're practicing and then it it just keeps going. <laughs> um, uh, Sadhu Lakana said, to be good-looking, is how he put it in his uh, way of speaking English, to be good-looking, physically adore your mind with metta, he said. <laughs> okay. Uh, your mind will be serene and calm is another benefit. What happens with metta, as Winnie and I have both spoken about, it's a concentration practice, it's a purification practice, and a concentration practice. And as the mind gets more and more focused, concentrated, uh, there's a serenity and a calm that goes along with the development of that, of the capacity to really focus the mind more and more easily. And and then ongoing, this makes it easier, and I think this has been mentioned in a couple of different ways so far, that this makes it easier to practice what are called the wisdom practices, the vipassana-based practice, which was very much uh, a part of the story that I told about why the Buddha taught uh, the metta teachings and the practices to the to the monks. After they did a lot of metta practice and there was a calm and a serenity and a clarity and a concentration, then they were able to practice uh, insight practice directly. It's not that there aren't insights, there are insights that come through very much so with metta practice, but the very direct wisdom practice of vipassana was uh, much more easily available to them. The next one, uh, the way that I I have always uh, seen it translated was that you'll die unconfused. Asaida Olakana spoke about it as uh, dying undiluted. Same thing in a way. I mean, same thing, but different way of saying it. Um, So an example or not a, a, a particular example, but uh, if one uh, has practiced metta deeply and strongly enough and it's developed uh, in, in one's heart and mind and body, um, it's the possibility of dying in metta, dying in love, we could say. You, you die in love, not in fear, not in rage, but die in love. That's a possibility. And... Uh, that has a lot of benefits for yourself and, of course, anybody who's with you during that time. If you die in love, that energy is goes out and is um, 
palpable and informs other people. And uh, the, the next one um, is an interesting one for the Western mind. You'll be reborn in happy realms. <coughs> uh, most, uh, most of us with Western uh, uh, upbringing, conditioning, being acculturated as a Western person, we don't uh, talk about being reborn. We don't believe in it. We don't. doesn't make any sense to most of us. Um, but just to go back to what I said about dying undiluted or dying in love dying in that clarity of metta that heart of metta and how it affects and is reborn that energy in a sense is reborn if that's how one dies it's, it is transmitted we could say to those around and uh, it's remembered and it informs and so in a sense it's reborn again and again. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that might make more sense and be more acceptable to the Western mind is that we're reborn, we could say, moment by moment by moment because each moment is new. There's no repeated moments exactly the same. So each moment is brand new. If we practice a lot of metta and it's really imbued in our mind, our heart, our body, our actions, our speech, our thoughts, are imbued with metta, our intentions um, come from the heart of metta more and more often, the next moment we're reborn, the, the moment that's reborn, again, the next moment, the next moment, the next moment, is much more likely to be uh, uh, born in a happy realm, in an easeful realm, in a heartful realm, and potentially also in a wise realm, wiser realm. So we don't have to think about it as a next lifetime after we physically die in this lifetime, we could think of it as a next lifetime in the next minute. We have that opportunity every moment. So those are the 11 benefits of metta. So now, let's start looking at this next category as as it's called uh, of um, offering metta to a dear friend to a beloved friend and maybe for just a couple of moments look at what what is friendship, really? Lots of different thoughts and ideas and uh, sentiments about what friendship is. And really true uh, friendship isn't uh, based in a kind of sentimental or a romantic uh, 
uh, idea. Either in relationship to another person or in relationship to ourself or both. Uh, sentimentality um, is really a kind of delusion, an illusion, we could say. Sentimentality has a kind of sticky sweetness about it, as though if things are always kind of sweet and nice and always lovely. Well, it's not true. Life is full with all kinds of different things. Different colors, different feelings, different tones. There's sorrow, there's uh, pain, there's anguish, there's beauty, there's full-heartedness, all of it. And that's always going to be coming our way. We don't have control over it. So that's not really a true friendship. Sentimentality, rooted in sentiment, based in sentimentality. And romantic, romantic friendship is similar. It's, it, it doesn't stay the same. It doesn't stay always sweet. And it changes all the time. And comes and goes. So if we really get stuck in our idea of of true friendship being kind of sentimental and romantic, we're actually strengthening the delusion. And it takes a huge amount of energy to defend that, to push away the way things really are and to keep defending and trying to cling and hold and 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 push away at the same time that which isn't uh, doesn't fit our idea of a sentimental and romantic friendship. So it's um, helpful to begin to learn that, and I'm sure many of you already know that, to whatever degree. So with that said, I'd like to begin uh, our practice of metta towards a a dear friend, a good friend, a beloved friend, and spending just uh, a couple of moments with a reflection, a silent inner reflection of what friendship means to you. And with reflections, I think reflections can be a very important and helpful aspect of practice. It's not about coming to a conclusive, sort of hard and fast, factual uh, answer or idea. But in this case, what friendship means to you, let it be free-flowing Don't cling on to anything, but be mindful of what's coming through the mind. And just open to it, receive it, know it.
what friendship means to you, a true friendship. Now let that go. Just let the reflective thoughts go. And we'll begin their practice this morning with just a few moments of sending metta to yourself, directing the energy of unconditional friendship to yourself, using whatever phrases you've been using with yourself. And now with whatever phrase you're on, finishing it, 
and then letting it be. And now bring to heart, bring to mind someone who is a good friend, a dear friend. It's helpful uh, with the practice at this point to bring in someone who's alive and also someone who's not uh, an object of sexual desire for you. That tends to complicate the matter. So let's keep it simple at this point. If you visualize easily, you can bring in an image maybe a felt sense as well. If imaging or visualizing is not easy for you, then bring in a felt sense of this being, this friend. Feeling their presence as though they're right here with you. And bring to heart, bring to mind some likable qualities of this person, some particular attributes of this person. And also recognizing in your heart and mind that this person has the same wish, the same urge as you do to be happy and at ease in their life. And now you can begin to direct the energy, the force of metta, of loving-kindness, toward your friend, repeating the phrases silently, the same phrases that you used for yourself and that you used for the benefactor. And really 
directing the energy of this towards your friend as a visual image, a felt sense, and in a sense kind of showering your friend, encompassing your friend, offering from your heart. And if it helps to put your hand over your heart, to feel that, that's fine. If that works for you, that's fine. If the attention wanders away, wanders off to maybe stories or plans or memories, just recognizing this with a mindful attention, a gentle mindful attention. And then gently just return back to the repetition of the phrases and to the image, felt sense of your friend. If any of the phrases uh, change slightly in a very natural, very organic way in relationship to your friend, that's fine, but don't manipulate the phrases. Don't kind of contrive new phrases for them. If they stay the same, that's perfectly all right.
And now finishing with the phrase that you're on. And just letting your friend go for now. Just letting them be on their way. In a little poem that I found a number of years ago written by a nine-year-old child by the name of Jean Hua called Flower Soup. Just put some roses in a soup and put some dandelions in it too. And if you really want to make it good, add some daisies in the soup. Invite your friend over if you can. And when your friend says, boy, that smells as good as flowers, laugh your petals off. We'll continue practicing uh, today. Uh, Don't uh, take yourself out of the equation. You can start with yourself for a few moments with your sits, with your walks. You can... Then direct the metta energy through the phrases to the benefactor for a few minutes. And if a new benefactor comes forth to receive your metta, you can do that. Take it to that person. I say person, but I know sometimes people find that there are other benefactors besides human uh, living creatures in human form. So if that comes up for you, you might have a a benefactor of a an animal that's possible and then spend the bulk of the time today exploring the metta practice with a dear friend and if a different friend comes forth than the one you've just used now at some point during the day, that's fine. Don't keep switching, though, within a sit or a walking period from friend to friend or benefactor to benefactor. That actually has a tendency to unsettle the mind at this point. So let yourself stay with one particular friend through a sitting period, through a walking period. Then later on, for another formal practice period, if uh, another friend comes, that's fine. Invite them in. Offer them metta. And do notice. Do notice. Do be mindful of the heart, the mind's response in relationship to these friends. This is a purification process that's going on. 
and we have different responses and reactions even to the people that we love and who love us. All of that's conditioned. So do notice what goes on. And if it's not uh, extremely distracting, then just notice it and keep going and keep going. And as Whitney mentioned just a little bit last night, if it's uh, huge, even with a dear friend, in terms of a some difficult emotional interference in the practice, then you can bring mindfulness to that itself, if you know how to do that. Take an interest in it. See how it acts. Where is it in the body? Notice how it changes. Very important. It's changing nature. And when it's weakened or gone or just dissipated to some degree, then come back, return again. And begin again with your metta practice. You can start with yourself. Or if it's easier with the benefactor, start with the benefactor, then yourself for just a little while and then again with your friend. 